The second ballot question that also is a constitutional referendum uh, has to do with sovereign immunity, and this would waive state and local sovereign immunity for violation of the state and federal constitution. Uh, What generally does this referendum address? So this has to do with the ability of citizens to sue state and local governments in the state courts. And it's really being passed as a response to a few recent Georgia Supreme Court rulings that found that the state was immune from suit in state courts, and pretty much immune from every state in state courts, even suits for constitutional violations, unless the state has explicitly consented to be sued. Right. And so is it common practice in your experience for people to consent to being sued? Uh, No. Uh, And that's one of the concerns about this, is that why would the state uh, consent to be sued? Now, now that said, there are a number of different uh, instances in where state and federal governments uh, will, you know, provide legislation that allows them uh, to be sued for violations. But but sure, you know, it's a fair point that, you know, why why would they want to give uh, people the right to sue them if they didn't have to? And then in just general terms, what is the effect of sovereign immunity um, on citizens' ability to petition their government over real or perceived constitutional violations? Sure. Well, let me back up a little bit and just talk about sovereign immunity and what this phrase means. Uh, this comes from English common law. So a lot of our laws in America, particularly when uh, the country was just getting started out politically, we took a lot from the English legal traditions. And one of the things we took was this idea of sovereign immunity, sometimes phrased as the king can do no wrong. And this is both a philosophical and a practical aspect to it. Philosophically, it's based on the idea that the state, the government, is the grantor of all rights uh, and can't be sued unless it agrees to be. So the people have given, or, or you know, prior to democracy, uh, it wasn't even uh, the people, uh, the, the government decided everything. And even now, under democracy, we are delegating uh, power to the government to provide uh, rights and responsibilities for the people. So philosophically, it kind of makes sense that that government could not be sued unless it agrees to be, because it is the source of political power. Practically speaking, it safeguards the purse of the state from money judgments, meaning that if I sue the government and I obtain, you know, a $20 million judgment, that's great for me, and uh, we may all, you know, cheer that I'm sticking it to the government, but it's your tax money that is going to pay for that. You know, all the money that the government has is the people's money, at least originally. So uh, the idea of, of tamping down particularly money judgment suits so as not to bankrupt the state. Now, some of these suits aren't for money judgments. They're suits for injunctions. They're basically just trying to get the government to stop doing something that that a citizen feels is illegal, and they're not looking for money. But even there, practically speaking, uh, not allowing that to happen promotes reliability in the laws that are passed by states. So knowing that when a state passes a law, the courts are going to uphold it, and a bunch of citizens aren't going to sue the next day or 10 years later, and all of a sudden the state law is enjoined or, or invalid. And it encourages people to go through a political process to change or invalidate laws, not use a legal process. Mm-hmm. And so... 
when I hear you make those uh, last comments about this idea of sovereign immunity, it almost uh, leads me to believe that it may dissuade citizens from addressing grievances that they have with laws. Is there any indication that this idea of sovereign immunity prevents citizens from challenging laws that they feel are unconstitutional or even just unjust? Uh, yes, it absolutely does. I mean, it explicitly does that. Now, uh, y- the way you phrased your question uh, originally was, does this prevent our ability to petition the government over, you know, for redress of grievances? And that's language from, you know, the First Amendment of the uh, the U.S. Constitution. Well, I suppose my answer is you can petition all you like, you just can't sue. So there are, there are many ways of petitioning. Uh, you may feel that your lawsuit is a petition, uh, but you're still allowed to lobby your elected officials to change the law. You're just not allowed to, to go to the courts. So traditionally, sovereign immunity has not been seen as violating the First Amendment. In fact, you, know, you could even see sovereign immunity as going back prior to the Constitution. And in fact, courts have said that, that this is sovereign immunity is not even really a constitutional right. It's an inherent right of government, maybe, maybe some sort of super constitutional right. When we think about the outcomes of uh, this constitutional referendum, what might happen should we, to use the term of the the ballot question, waive uh, sovereign immunity for our state and local governments or peel away that protection from a lawsuit? Well, let, let me go back a little bit and talk a little bit more about the way sovereign immunity has played out in the courts over time, because that's pretty significant in understanding why this constitutional amendment has come before the voters now. And let me also preface this by saying that sovereign immunity is an incredibly complicated area of the law, and this is not an area where I'm a specialist. You know, I'm a business lawyer. I study uh, a wide variety of laws affecting business, including this, but uh, it's, it's not an area of my particular expertise. So there are exceptions to sovereign immunity. There are ways of getting around it. Uh, For example, if you want to sue the state, you might be able to sue the state in federal court as opposed to state court. And federal courts uh, have said that you can use the federal courts to sue states for violating federal and state constitutions. Uh, Also, states can sue other states. Federal government can sue states. And the federal government has allowed certain lawsuits against the states to proceed, even if they are for constitutional violations, for example, things like discrimination. So there are a number of ways to sue states in federal court. But that's not what this is about. This is about suing in state court. And um, a lot of this I mentioned came to a head with recent Georgia Supreme Court decisions uh, one of the most recent was a case called Lathrop v. Deal, which was actually a lawsuit that was brought by the ACLU on behalf of a number of doctors, and they were seeking to enjoin a bill that would prohibit abortions after 20 weeks. So this was a Georgia law that was passed, and then uh, they, they sued to stop it from happening. The Georgia Supreme Court said, we're not even going to get to the merits of that case uh, because the, the you can't sue the state unless they agree to it in state courts. We are uh, an arm of the state, and we are going to recognize the state's uh, sovereign immunity. And what was significant about Lathrop v. Deal is they said this even applies when you're suing the state for violating the state constitution. 
and this is kind of where I got into that uh, discussion of how sovereign immunity is seen as something that might even be above the Constitution, and that merely the fact that the state has said something in the Constitution does not give up its sovereign immunity unless it explicitly says so. Okay, now here's where it gets a little complicated, and this is something that Georgia Supreme Court said in Lothrop v. Deal. They said, all right, you can't sue the state, you can't enjoin the state, even for constitutional violations, but you can sue individuals, individual officials, in their individual capacity. So if the governor issues an executive order that I feel is illegal or unconstitutional, I can't sue Brian Kemp, governor of the state of Georgia, but I could sue Brian Kemp, an individual. And the theory is that as an individual, he does not have sovereign immunity. And if he's doing something illegal, which is at least what I claim, then he therefore cannot be acting in his official capacity, even if he's acting under what we call color of his office. Even if he he thinks and says, I'm doing this as the governor, my argument would be, well, obviously you're not because what you're doing is illegal and the governor is not authorized to do illegal things and therefore you must have gone rogue, essentially, and I'm going to sue you as an individual. So this is where we see most of the lawsuits happening, and the Georgia Supreme Court explicitly blessed this idea, which is sometimes called the stripping doctrine, that you can't sue the government, but you can sue the government officials in their individual capacity for breaking the government's rules. Now, what that means, though, practically, is that if you win money from that lawsuit, you're not winning it from the state, you're winning it from that individual. But then the state reimburses that individual in almost all cases. So it's kind of a loophole. And you might even say this is a pretty absurd result, that we have to go through this shell game of suing them and then they get reimbursed. Why can't I just go straight to the state? And it's even been called a legal fiction by the Supreme Court. But that's the way, you know, up until now that you had to play the game. Now, am and this may be something to to drop it, but within this enabling legislation, uh, this, I guess, gets at that stripping doctrine in that when you sue an individual who is an officer of the state, you're actually now, should this become constitutional law here in Georgia, you are, in effect, uh, suing the state. Or if it is a, a local um, issue, uh, you are suing that subdivision of state government. Is that correct? Yes. yes. This con- Well, this constitutional amendment would change the process. So it would basically say, we don't like the way the Georgia Supreme Court has interpreted the law. We don't think this makes any sense, that you have to go through the officials to get to the state, where really you should just be suing the state itself. So what this amendment proposes uh, is if what you're suing for is declaratory and injunctive relief. If, If basically what you want is for the court to say, okay, what the government is doing is illegal or unconstitutional, and they must stop. That's what we call a declaratory judgment, which is saying it's illegal, and injunctive relief, saying they have to stop. So this amendment, if, it, if it's approved by the voters, will say uh, you can do that. You can now sue the state directly. The state is basically giving up its, its sovereign immunity for declaratory and injunctive actions. At the same time, you could not sue 
the individuals. This is now the only way that you do it. So rather than suing Brian Kemp, an individual, you now have to sue Brian Kemp as governor, and we'll allow that to happen. This amendment uh, does not affect uh, lawsuits for monetary judgment. It doesn't really mention it. So presumably those still go forward the way they have in the past. If you're trying to get money out of the action, you would still have to sue the person in their individual capacity. Uh, but in to talk about money, though, under this constitutional amendment, should it pass, you could not sue the state and expect a monetary reward. Is that off the table? That's correct. And you never could, uh, but they're not allowing you to do that now. So this only applies, applies to declaratory relief and injunctions, uh, not money judgments. So the process for trying to seek a money judgment from the state would be the same as it always is. Now, on top of that, it specifically says that you cannot get attorney's fees or court costs for bringing these lawsuits. So that may chill some of these lawsuits. Uh, you you uh, can sue the state, uh, but the best you can hope for is for them to stop what they're doing. They're not going to pay you uh, for any, any harm you've incurred. And uh, they're not going to pay your lawyer, even if you win. So you're going to have to pay your own legal fees and court costs. And, and that means this is probably not something a lot of individuals are going to do, unless they're backed by uh, you know, a political group or a nonprofit group like the ACLU. And even the ACLU might be slightly more reticent to take these cases, because even though they do take cases where they don't expect to get you know, their, their costs reimbursed, um, they often try to. You know, that, that's one of the ways they support themselves, other than donations, is, is some of these lawsuits they can get their, their legal fees. So uh, this amendment explicitly says that, that no legal fees or court costs can be recovered. And, and I have a, a feeling that uh, there may be some unintended consequences to this. Are there any um, known knowns that we um, might foresee from any changes to this part of the Constitution or maybe even um, guesses at unknown unknowns? It's all really speculative at this point, so I can make a few guesses. Uh, one thing I wanted to point out is that it's a little uh, bit uh, ironic, or at least curious, that this bill was promoted by mostly Republican Congress people. Because, as I mentioned, uh, the most recent Supreme Court case that they're essentially trying to overturn or, or change the result of was a lawsuit brought uh, to enjoin this abortion bill. And, in fact, Georgia has now passed a much more restrictive abortion bill, uh, what's sometimes referred to as the heartbeat bill. So uh, we had the, the, the bill for 20 weeks. Now the bill would ban abortions after six weeks, except in some circumstances. So one thing you might see if this passed is those plaintiffs that are currently suing Georgia in federal court might now also sue Georgia in its state courts. So it, it would give them, it would give all the plaintiffs a choice. Uh, even though I mentioned if, if you're suing for certain things, you could still take the state to federal court, now a plaintiff could say, well, maybe I'll just take them to state court, or maybe I'll take them to both. Maybe I'll sue them in federal court for violating the federal constitution, and I'll sue them in state court for, suing, for violating the state constitution, um, particularly if you're, this is brought by a well-funded group that has the resources to, to fight a battle on two fronts. So I'm curious, I, I doubt that's what the people who propose this amendment had in mind, they probably had some other things in mind. So uh, were they thinking about perhaps 
people being able to sue cities and counties for COVID restrictions on businesses or mass mandates or things like that. We don't know. We're going to have to see what sort of lawsuits are brought as a consequence of this. We're also going to see what the courts think of all this. Uh, this, this bill, once it's passed, will still have to meet the tests of the courts. But I think we're not going to see a, a huge change. We're going to see the actions that were normally brought against individuals now being brought against the state. And that just is a, is a, is a practice note for lawyers to change how you do your pleadings. As far as big ramifications, we're really just going to have to wait and see what's brought and, and how the courts treat it. Mm-hmm.